Man, I don't, uh, it's not that I don't know where to start. I know where I'm supposed to start, but I, uh, I can't express to you guys how much I feel like I've gotten out of this study of the feast. Have y'all gotten something good out hey, of it? Man. Come on, man. This has been, for me, a revelation of God's relationship with mankind from the very beginning. And I don't know about you guys, I'll tell you this. Um, growing up, I uh, was told that the church had kind of replaced Israel. That the, the church uh, was because Israel failed. Right? Oh, you do me a favor. Grab that speaker. Press the minus on it like twice. Got long arms. Mm. So thankful I have tall friends. I got lots of them too. Lots of you guys are tall. Praise the Lord. <laughs> But being taught that Israel replaced, or that the church replaced Israel, and then the church that I attended uh, before we came here, being told that, you know, Israel was actually the promised nation, and we were grafted into the promise that was made for them. I feel like through this study of the feasts, what I've come to, to see is that God is, is showing that His promise, His covenant has been with all of mankind from the beginning. It was with Adam. Amen. It was made with Adam in the beginning. That was the covenant. And you see it fulfilled in the end. In Revelation, you see us back in the garden, surrounding that tree of life. We're going to talk about that today and see how it leads up. But we're going to talk about the last three feasts. If you guys remember, what we've covered so far was Passover, unleavened bread, and then the Feast of First Fruits. Those are the first three feasts. Last week we talked about, anybody remember? Promise along the guy. Promise along the guy. Pentecost. Yes, feast of weeks. So we had the promise in the beginning that was given through Seth, the law that was given on the day when the Levites came and killed three thousand of their own people. Moses came down with the tablets, the commandments written by God. Pentecost. Several thousand years later, the Spirit is given. Three thousand people are saved. Right? Remember that. So we we remember we remember what we talked about. But make sure that we see the connection. We see there being a covenant that's made with man, mankind, in Adam, right from the very beginning. And then we see next, the next covenant that's made is with Israel. Right now, there are covenants that are made, the Abrahamic covenant, the Davidic covenant, the Mosaic covenant, the Noahic covenant. There's all sorts of different covenants. But the main one's the one for Israel. So the nation of Israel, as a people, there was a covenant made with Abraham. Now, that covenant, we were not a part of, but we were grafted into that. We're going to have to do without it today. So, that covenant, we were made a part of, and we get to participate in that. And I always had the feeling of, well, that's great. You know, Israel's the chosen. I'm fine with that. Hey, I get to spend eternity with God. I don't care how it comes, right? Amen. So, I, I, I was okay with that. I was okay with, with realizing that my place was to come up underneath Israel. Right, But what I want to talk about today is not throwing Israel out, and it's not throwing the idea of Gentiles out. It's not throwing the covenants out. It's not throwing the promise of the Savior or anybody out. It's not throwing anything out. It's recognizing what was the plan from the very beginning. That's what we're going to finish off today in studying these last three feasts. We're going to see what has been the plan all along. What has God been doing, not trying to do, but doing in spite of man's disobedience and unfaithfulness? How has God remained faithful to himself 
Because we see from the very beginning, it didn't, I don't know how long it took, actually, because the Bible doesn't say, but at a certain point, Adam and Eve screwed up. Right? They messed it up. They weren't faithful to God anymore. But that didn't change who God was. That didn't change anything about God's covenant with them. He was still going to fulfill it, but he would have to do it in a different way. Okay? But what we're going to see, I believe, is that this was his plan from the very beginning to include more people. So we're going to start off with looking at the covenant with mankind and finishing up. We've talked about Adam and Eve, how the first three feasts were represented in there. The Passover, right? God found Adam with sin, killed an animal, covered both Adam and Eve up. They were covered, right? The uh, Feast of Unleavened Bread, you see God looking for sin in the, in, the, in the garden. He finds it in Adam, and he expels them out of the house, just like Jewish fathers do today with their kids when they celebrate the Feast of Unleavened Bread. And in the Feast of First Fruits, Adam and Eve were the first fruits of those who would die because of their sin. And then later we see the promise through Seth is being fulfilled, that a deliverer would ultimately come, would eventually come. And Seth, because Adam or because Cain and Abel were no more, right? Cain killed Abel, so Cain was cursed and Abel was no more. They needed someone else through whom the deliverer could come. So Seth was that promise. So we see those first four right there. But now, you've got to realize we have three more feasts to look at. And the Bible does not elaborate too much on what happens in between Adam and Noah. So thank God that it paints a very clear picture of what happens with Noah. From the very beginning, it goes into great detail to explain who Noah is and explain why God is doing what he's doing through him and then what the after effects of that will be. So we're going to see through Noah a picture of the Feast of Trumpets, okay? Which you see here would be celebrated if this were, during this calendar year, if we were in September, the 4th through the 6th, we would be celebrating the Feast of Trumpets. That's where it falls on their calendar. That's how it lines up with our calendar. The sixth feast, the Day of Atonement, Yom Kippur, September 13th through 14th, and then the Feast of Tabernacles, September 21st through the 28th. So you can see that there's some time in between the Feast of Trumpets and the final day of the Feast of Tabernacles. But you see it's celebrated uh, all in the same, within, within a 30-day time period. So we're going to look at how those feasts, the picture of what they were, is pictured or symbolized in Noah. So if you guys will, we're going to look at a lot of Genesis. Turn to Genesis 6. If you get to Revelation, you've gone too far. Never gets old. Mm -hmm. I'm like grumbling just then. Cheesy <laughs> <laughs> jokes. All right, verse 1. Now, I'm going to skip around. If you want, you can follow along with the absolutely tiny text. Yeah. I did not realize how small it is. <laughs> you can follow along in your Bible, Genesis 6. Uh, or you can follow along. Don't forget version. If you've got version on your phone, everything is on there, too. Genesis 6, 1 through 3. When men began to increase in number on the earth, and daughters were born to them, the sons of God saw that the daughters of men were beautiful. And they married any of them they chose. Then the Lord said, My spirit will not contend with man forever, for he is mortal. His days will be 120 years. So right there we see, that's something we could get into, the Nephilim or the Nephilim, however you want to say it. The sons of God uh, having 
having children with uh, the daughters of men. That's something we can talk about later. However, what you need to recognize from that is that God is disappointed and frustrated with man, and uh, something's about to happen. Look at verse 5. The Lord saw how great man's wickedness on the earth had become, and that every inclination of the thoughts of his heart were only evil all the time. That's pretty substantial. The Lord was grieved that he had made man on the earth, and his heart was filled with pain. So the Lord said, I will wipe mankind whom I have created from the face of the earth, men and animals and creatures that move along the ground and birds of the air, for I am grieved that I have made them. Now at this point, it looks like as if all hope is lost with the covenant that God has made with Adam. Right? Because he made a covenant in the beginning with Adam. Do we remember what that covenant is? I, I was thinking this, I was like, what is the covenant again last night? So let's turn there real quick just to highlight. Go to Genesis 1, just flip back a couple pages. In verse 27, in the very beginning. So God created, actually look at verse 26. Then God said, let us make man in our image, in our likeness, and let them rule over the fish of the sea and the birds of the air, over the livestock, over all the earth, and over all the creatures that move along the ground. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. God blessed them and said to them, Be fruitful and increase in number. Fill the earth and subdue it. Rule over the fish of the sea and the birds of the air and over every living creature that moves on the ground. That was the covenant that God made. Did anybody catch it? It may seem insignificant, right? But basically what he did is say, Hey, I'm going to put you guys in charge of running the earth. That's pretty significant. That's the covenant that he made with Adam. Now at this point, however many years later, we have God looking at the earth and all the people that are on it and saying, every inclination of their heart all the time is always bent on only evil. I'm going to destroy them because I'm disappointed that I made them. And it's like, everything is about to be erased. The covenant that he made with mankind is about to go away. Bless you. It's not going to be anymore. But look at verse 8 in Genesis 6. But Noah found favor in the eyes of the Lord. This is the account of Noah. Noah was a righteous man, blameless among the people of his time, and he walked with God. Now go to verse 11. Now the earth was corrupt in God's sight and was full of violence. God saw how corrupt the earth had become, for all the people on earth had corrupted their ways. So God said to Noah, I am going to put an end to all people, for the earth is filled with violence because of them. I am surely going to destroy both them and the earth. So make yourself an ark of cypress wood, make rooms in it, and coat it with pitch inside and out. Look at verse 17. I am going to bring floodwaters on the earth to destroy all life under the heavens. Every creature that has the breath of life in it, everything will perish. But I will establish my covenant with you, and you will enter the ark. And uh, let's see here. And you will enter the ark, you and your sons, and your wife and your sons' wives with you. Look at verse 22. Noah did everything just as God commanded him. Go to chapter 7, go to verse 4. We're skipping around here, but try and, try and collect the whole story because we're reading through four different chapters. Seven days from now I will send rain on the earth for forty days and forty nights, and I will wipe from the face of the earth every living creature I have made. Does anybody remember forty? What does that represent? A time of 
transition, transformation, right? For 40 days and 40 nights. Now look here. And Noah did all that the Lord commanded him. Noah was 600 years old when the floodwaters came on the earth. Look at verse or look at chapter 7 verse 10. And after the 7 days the floodwaters came on the earth. In the 600th year of Noah's life on the 17th day of the second month, on that day all the springs of the great deep burst forth and the floodgates of the heavens were opened. And rain fell on the earth forty days and forty nights. Now up until that point it had never rained on earth. So there was never any rain before on earth. And I don't know if you guys caught it in verse 4. He says, seven days from now I will send rain on the earth for forty days and forty nights. So the ark was finished and sitting there and then seven days went by. I had always missed that detail. I had always missed the fact that the ark was complete, finished, and I'm sure Noah was like, all right. So, so what now? Hang tight. The rain will eventually come. God, come on. I mean, I finished the boat. Everybody's looking at me now. Something better happen, right? <laughs> Seven days go by. The people see that boat. And I guarantee you, at the size of the boat, and the fact that there had never been rain before, and Noah was talking about the rain that was going to come on the earth, the people thought he was crazy. But they saw that boat sitting there as a sign, as a warning, showing them seven days, God's judgment is coming. Seven days took place in between there. And then for 40 days during that time of transition, not only did the earth open up and springs filled it, but water poured down. So much so that the top of the mountains were covered more than 20 feet during the rainwaters. Look at verse 19 in chapter 7. They, the waters, rose greatly on the earth, and all the high mountains under the entire heavens were covered. The waters rose and covered the mountains to a depth of more than 20 feet. Look at verse 23. Every living thing on the face of the earth was wiped out. Men and animals and the creatures that move along the ground and the birds of the air were wiped from the earth. Only Noah was left and those with him in the ark. The waters flooded the earth for 150 days. Chapter 8. But God remembered Noah and all the wild animals and the livestock that were with him in the ark. And he sent a wind over the earth and the waters receded. Do you guys remember Noah's name means comfort? Look at verse 15. Then God said to Noah, Come out of the ark, you and your wife and your sons and their wives. Bring out every kind of living creature that is with you, the birds, the animals, and all the creatures that move along the ground. And now at this point, I was like, I, I was looking and I was saying, Hmm, is it a new covenant now? Is it a new covenant? Because everybody else has been destroyed. So it's like, it started with Adam. Is it a new covenant with Noah? And I love that he includes what he says to him. He puts in here the words that he speaks to him. Now, we've seen this before. There are times, remember, the presence of God is being described in Revelation. It was the exact same wording that was used here. So we could identify, hey, they're talking about the same thing. Here they use the same wording as they do here. It's the same thing. So look in verse further down in 17. So they can multiply on the earth and be fruitful and increase in number upon it. So Noah came out together with his sons and his son's wife and his wife and his son's wives. All the animals and all the creatures that move along the ground and all the birds, everything that moves on the earth came out of the ark, one kind after another. Then Noah built an altar to the Lord, and taking some of the, all the clean animals and clean birds, he sacrificed burnt offerings on it. 
the Lord smelled the pleasing aroma and said in his heart, Never again will I curse the ground because of man, even though every inclination of his heart is evil from childhood. And never again will I destroy all living creatures as I have done. Chapter 9. We're going to read 6 through 17. Bear with me here. Whoever sheds the blood of man, by man shall his blood be shed. For in the image of God has God made man. He is reaffirming, restating, repeating some of the very same words that are used in Genesis 1. As for you, he's telling this to Noah, be fruitful and increase in number. Multiply on the earth and increase upon it. Then God said to Noah and to his sons with him, I now establish my covenant with you and with your descendants after you and with every living creature that was with you, the birds, the livestock, and all the wild animals, all those that came out of the ark with you, every living creature on the earth. I establish my covenant with you. Never again will all life be cut off by, waters, by the waters of a flood. Never again will there be a flood to destroy the earth. And God said, This is the sign of the covenant I am making between me and you and every living creature with you a covenant for all generations to come. I have set my rainbow in the clouds, and it will be the sign of the covenant between me and the earth. I am so sorry to say that the rainbow was actually originally intended for uh, the purpose of a covenant between God and Noah uh, to show that he would not destroy the earth even though every inclination of man's heart would be evil. The rainbow is a sign of the fact that God will not destroy us all because our hearts are evil. It's just interesting to think about. Whenever I bring clouds over the earth and the rainbow appears in the clouds, I will remember my covenant between me and you and all living creatures of every kind. Never again will the waters become a flood to destroy all life. Whenever the rainbow appears in the clouds, I will see it and remember the everlasting covenant between God and all living creatures of every kind on the earth. So God said to Noah, This is the sign of the covenant I have established between me and all life on the earth. Now, look at this. We want to examine what God says here. He restates the covenant that he made with Adam. What is the covenant that he's making with Noah here? That he won't destroy all life on earth. He's restating the covenant that he made with Adam. Be fruitful. Increase on the earth. I give you every living thing on the earth. He's restating that. That's still happening. But I'm also making a covenant with you. That I'm not going to destroy everything again. Here's the rainbow as a sign of the covenant that I'm making with you. So now we see the Adamic covenant, which was made with Adam, which some people call the eternal covenant. That covenant of be fruitful, multiply on the earth, increase. I give you the earth to rule over it, right? God is making a covenant with Noah as well, right? But Noah fulfills, or Noah is, uh, has made a covenant, or God has made a covenant with Noah that is different than the covenant that was made with Adam. This is important, and I'll get to why in just a second. So the Feast of Trumpets. What we see here with Noah is we see a warning that comes to the people on earth. Seven days that boat is sitting there. And then finally, on the seventh day, Noah and his family get in the boat, the rains come, and judgment falls on the earth. Agreed? That's what happens there. But then what happens is when the waters recede, now Noah and his family, the righteous, right, as the Bible calls them, descend onto the earth, right, from the waters having raised, and then descend back onto the earth now to continue the covenant that God made with Adam. Is that picture clear? Okay. So it's all going to tie together here in just a second. Oh, by the way, just a couple of little tidbits that maybe might spark someone's interest for a Wednesday night question. Look in verse 6 in chapter 7. Noah was 600 years old when the floodwaters came on the earth. Now 6... 
and the Bible, just as a side note, often represents man's judgment, man's reign, man's rule, right? But then seven is perfection. That's God's number. God did work for six days, right? 2 Peter 3.8 has an interesting verse that says, To you a day is like a thousand years, and a thousand years is like a day. There's a lot of people who are of the, the school of thought that says, Hey, you can trace back to Adam 6,000 years approximately worth of man. You got about, if you take Adam's lineage and you go to the genealogy and you add in the approximate number of years that a man lives until he has another child, so a generation, the time of a generation, if you take that and you add it all up, we got about 6,000 years. This is, this is, go and look it up online and we can talk more about it on Wednesday night. But what's interesting here is that Noah had completed 600 years. And then judgment came. There are many people who believe that now we are in those last days. We're in the days where the 6,000 years has been completed. <laughs> and we've got this last day. This day of rest, ruling, and reigning where God will join with his people. And for a 1,000 years there will be a millennial reign. Right? There's a 1,000 year millennial reign coming. 6,000 years have taken place. Right? Up until now. And we will see the rest with the Lord that we will have when he comes to rule and reign with his people. Just an interesting thing to think about. We're going to look at the story of Joshua again. Now, we've, we've go to Joshua 6. We've looked at this before. Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy, Joshua. Joshua chapter 6. We've looked at this story before, but I want to reiterate it here because it, it, it contributes to the entire picture of what we're talking about. Okay, verse 1. Now Jericho was tightly shut up because of the Israelites. No one went out and no one came in. Then the Lord said to Joshua, See, I have delivered Jericho into your hands, along with its king and its fighting men. March around the city once with all the armed men. Do this for six days. Have seven priests carry trumpets of ram's horns in front of the ark. On the seventh day, march around the city seven times with the priests blowing the trumpets. When you hear them sound a long blast on the trumpets, have all the people give a loud shout. Then the wall of the city will collapse and the people will go up, every man straight in. So Joshua, son of Nun, called the priests and said to them, Take up the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord and have seven priests carry trumpets in front of it. And he ordered the people, Advance! March around the city with the armed guard going ahead of the Ark of the Lord. When Joshua had spoken to the people, the seven priests carrying the seven trumpets before the Lord went forward, blowing their trumpets, and the ark of the Lord's covenant followed them. The armed guard marched ahead of the priests who blew the trumpets, and the rear guard followed the ark. All this time the trumpets were sounding. But Joshua had commanded the people, Do not give a war cry. Do not raise your voices, and do not say a word until the day I tell you to shout. Then shout. So he had the ark of the Lord carried around the city, circling it once. Then the people returned to camp and spent the night there. Joshua got up early the next morning, and the priests took up the Ark of the Lord. The seven priests carrying the seven trumpets went forward, marching before the Ark of the Lord and blowing the trumpets. Men went ahead of them, and the rear guard followed the Ark of the Lord while the trumpets kept sounding. So on the second day, they marched around the city once and returned to the camp. They did this for six days. Here we go, the seventh day. On the seventh day... They got up at daybreak and marched around the city seven times in the same manner. Except that on the day they circled the city seven times, the seventh time around when the priest sounded the trumpet blast, 
Joshua commanded the people, Shout, for the Lord has given you the city. The city and all that is in it are to be devoted to the Lord. Only Rahab the prostitute and all who are with her in her house shall be spared, because she hid the spies we sent. But keep away from the devoted things so that you will not bring about your own destruction by taking any of them. Otherwise you will make the camp of Israel liable to this Israel liable to destruction and bring trouble on it. All the silver and gold and the articles of bronze and iron are sacred to the Lord and must go into his treasury. Now we've covered a ton just now. A ton of the Im imagery, symbolism, all these things that are connecting and relating to one another. And what's great is that we don't even have to draw these. The Bible draws the conclusions for us. It connects all the things for us by using similar language, by using the specific numbers. It does this all for us. So what we have here is Jericho to the Israelites was symbolic of the world. This was something that Jesus talked about in the parable of uh, the Good Samaritan, right? Do you remember, does anybody remember where the guy is heading? He's going down to Jericho, right? Jericho represented the world to the people of, of Israel. It was just a, a representation of it. It was the first place that they came out of when they came out of the desert. They came out of the desert where they had been tested and tried by the Lord, right? Does anyone remember... It tells you in the story, who leads them out of the desert? Joshua. Mm. Joshua takes them out of the desert. Now, we remember from when we studied Joshua in the Battle of the Amalekites, Joshua's name, Yehoshua, means the Lord's salvation. It's the same as Jesus' name. So you have Joshua, the Lord's salvation, leading the people out of the desert, right? And then with trumpet blast, <coughs> the world falls, right? Judgment happens on the world. Joshua leads Israel out of the desert. The trumpets blast. The world falls. The righteous are saved out of that. Right? Rahab. Rahab, just like Noah's family, judgment was coming on the world, but God saved up a family out of that, and they were saved from that. Do you guys see that? Amen. So you have Rahab's family has been saved out of that. They're coming out of the desert, right? Entering into the promised land. Right? The whole purpose of them coming out of the desert was for them to inherit, realize the inheritance that God had given them, that God had promised them. So now they're coming out of the desert, stepping into the promised land. Right? Once Jericho falls, the Israelites see that God is going to use them to defeat their enemies. They see that the walls fall. Right? They come up into the city and they destroy everything that's in it. The city is completely judged, right? The city of Jericho. So this is a picture of, once again, in the same way with Noah, you have the warning happening, right? Seven days. They're marching around. The trumpets blast, right? This picture is developing for us. They're marching around. The people see it. The people of Jericho know, right? Judgment is coming. This is about to happen, right? And then on the seventh day, it falls. The seventh trumpet blast. It falls, and the people rush in, and judgment happens on the city of Jericho. Judgment happens on the world. See the same thing with Noah. Seven days the boat is sitting there. The people see it as a warning. Eventually the rains fall on the seventh day. Judgment happens on the world. Noah's family is raised up out of that, and then descends back on the earth. Uh, descends back on the earth to continue out the covenant that God has made with man. And now... Let's look at Jesus. Turn to Revelation 11. Now we've looked at 
up until this point, how Jesus fulfilled the first four feasts. The first one, Jesus dies on Passover, right? Jesus dies on Passover. While he's in the ground, the Feast of Unleavened Bread is happening. Now, unlike Adam, when he was examining Adam, he found sin and expelled him. When Jesus was examined, there was no sin in him, right? He was blameless and upright. And so Jesus could not be held by death. Jesus could not be held by the consequence that Adam faced. Jesus, in fact, was raised to life, was able to take his life back up again because there was no sin found in him. So during unleavened bread, Jesus was being found clean. Jesus then comes forth from that as the uh, first fruits of those who would be raised from the dead. Okay? So now Jesus represents the first fruits of those who would be raised from the dead, whereas Adam represented the first fruits of those who would die from their sin. Okay? So Jesus fulfilled those three. Now, 50 days later, the Spirit came that He promised. Right? So we see in Jesus, the first four feasts were fulfilled. The fourth one with His Spirit. The Holy Spirit came down and empowered us, enabled us to fulfill the calling that's on our lives. Now we see the 5th, 6th, and 7th feasts, the Day of Atonement, or the, the Feast of Trumpets, the Day of Atonement, and then the Feast of Tabernacles. Jesus fulfills all three of these feasts, right? Amen. Look in uh, chapter 11. <coughs> this is verse 15. That number 7 just keeps coming back up. So, so interesting. The seventh angel sounded his trumpet, and there were loud voices in heaven which said, the kingdom of the world has become the kingdom of our Lord and of His Christ, and He will reign forever and ever. And the twenty-four elders who were seated on their thrones before God fell on their faces and worshipped God, saying, We give thanks to you, Lord God Almighty, the one who is and who was, because you have taken your great power and have begun to reign. The nations were angry, and your wrath has come. The time has come for judging the dead and for rewarding your servants, the prophets and your saints, and those who reverence your name, both small and great, and for destroying those who destroy the earth. Then God's temple in heaven was opened, and within his temple was seen the ark of his covenant, and there came flashes of lightning, rumblings, peals of thunder, an earthquake, and a great hailstorm. Once again, on that seventh trumpet, that seventh trumpet hits, and then judgment comes. We see that with Jesus here. When the seventh trumpet blows, Jesus returns. Jesus comes. The heavens open up and God's presence comes down. God's spirit comes down and judgment falls on the earth. That happens and that is the Feast of Trumpets. That's what we see happening here. Now, the Day of Atonement, Revelation 20. Just turn a couple pages. Verse 11. Then I saw a great white throne and him who was seated on it earth and sky fled from his presence and there was no place for them and I saw the dead great and small standing before the throne and books were opened another book was opened which is the book of life the dead were judged according to what they had done as recorded in the books the sea gave up the dead that were in it and death and Hades gave up the dead that were in them and each person was judged according to what he had done then death and Hades were thrown into the lake of fire the lake of fire is the second death if anyone's name was not found written in the book of life, he was thrown into the lake of fire. You see this judgment happening and the earth being expelled of those whose name is not being, has not been written in the book of life, right? Go back to Noah. The flood waters come. Who dies? 
the unrighteous. You go back to Jericho. Who dies in that? The unrighteous. The righteous are saved out of it. Once again, we come to the day of judgment. And who's saved out of that? The righteous. You see this picture of the righteous being there. The righteous enduring through this destruction. The righteous enduring through the tribulation, through the hard times. That's the picture that's being painted here. The righteous are enduring through and are being saved through it. Right? Amen. So that's the day of atonement that we see. The Feast of Trumpets, when the seventh trumpet is blown. The day of atonement, right? When our sins are atoned for. What makes the atonement? What's the difference between those whose name is written in the book of life and those whose aren't? The blood of the Lamb. Right? If you've received Jesus, if you've believed on Him and the sacrifice that He has made, then your name is written in the book of life. Hallelujah. Okay? So those whose names have been written in the book of life are saved through this. Okay? And now, the Feast of Tabernacles. To see how that is finally fulfilled. And this is the best part. Revelation 22. You remember where we started today? When we went back and looked at the covenant God made with Adam, where were we at? In Genesis 1, right? We're in the last chapter of the Bible right here. Revelation 22, verse 1 through 6. Then the angel showed me the river of the water of life as clear as crystal, flowing from the throne of God and of the Lamb, down the middle of the great street of the city. Anybody remember what, what, what two trees were in the Garden of Eden? The tree of life and the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Exactly. On each side of the river stood the tree of life, bearing twelve crops of fruit, yielding its fruit every month. And the leaves of the tree are for the healing of the nations. No longer will there be any curse. The throne of God and of the Lamb will be in the city, and the servants will serve Him. They will see His face, and His name will be on their foreheads. There will be no more night. They will not need the light of a lamp or the light of the sun. For the Lord God will give them light, and they will reign forever and ever. The angel said to me, These words are trustworthy and true. The Lord, the God of the spirits of the prophets, sent his angel to show his servants the things that must soon take place. I have always wondered, why did it say that we'll rule and reign with God? Why didn't it just say that God will reign? That God will rule? That's easier for me to grasp. God will rule and reign, and we will serve him. But the Bible is very clear and very specific that we will rule and reign with Christ. Why? Because that was the promise from the very beginning. That was the covenant that God made with Adam. Reign over the earth. What has happened here through all of this story, through this entire Bible, this is the fulfilling of the covenant that God made with Adam. And Adam's name means mankind. This is the covenant that God started with mankind, and he takes us through man's disobedience, unfaithfulness, Right? Missing it, falling short, and he delivers him through it. Amen. The feasts are a picture of the process of deliverance. Think about this. You have the, the Passover from the very beginning. God made the covenant with Adam to rule and reign. Adam chose something different. There needed to be a covering of that sin because sin was not a part of the deal. This separation from God was Adam's choice. Adam made the choice. He made the choice to be separate from God. Now, at that point, God's covenant was not voided. You think about this. This is the character of our God. When God made a covenant with Abraham, what they used to do, if you guys remember this, we were talking about how they made covenants. 
what the what Jews would do is they would take an animal and slice it in half, and they would lay one half on one altar and one half on the other, and they would walk in between it. You remember this? Yeah. And then they would say, "May whoever, may whichever one of us breaks this covenant be like this animal." That's what they would say, because their word, their bond, their covenant meant something, and they didn't break it. And if they did, then they said, "Let us end up like this animal that's cut in half." When God made a covenant with Abraham, He did that. He told Abraham. Take an animal, cut it in half, put one half on here, put one half on here. But right before Abraham started to walk through, he put him into a deep sleep. And God walked through twice. And God did that. And the, the covenant that God made with Abraham was him remaining faithful to his own promise. Was him remaining faithful to his own covenant. Because he knew that man could not carry out the obligations of the covenant. Amen. And so God said, don't worry, I got this. I'll be the one to lay down my life to fulfill this covenant and to cover over where you messed up. I'll be the one to do that. I will step in and I'll put my name on the line. He swore by his own name since there was no other name greater on earth or in heaven. This is the kind of God that we serve. Not, a kind, not the kind of God who creates something and says, good luck, and then kicks us and says, hopes that we can do it on our own. He's the kind of God that says... I'm going to set this up in the very beginning. And my desire is for you to rule and reign. For you to flourish and prosper and multiply. But you're going to mess it up. But don't worry. I've put things in place to redeem and restore you. That is the God that we serve. So let's go through these feasts. So this Passover now. God has made this covenant with, with Adam. Adam messes it up. You've got the first one, Passover. There needs to be a covering for that sin. God kills an animal, covers Adam and Eve with that skin. Fast forward, you've got the Passover. The Israelites are in Egypt. To keep from their firstborn being killed or being sacrificed, a lamb has to be killed and blood put on the doorpost of the home so that the spirit of death, the destroyer, the angel of death, will pass over their home. So the blood of the lamb saves their family. That's a picture of the Passover for the Israelites. Jesus dies on Passover. He was our Passover lamb. Paul says that in 1 Corinthians 15. Now, let's take unleavened bread. You have the Feast of Unleavened Bread from the very beginning with Adam in the garden. God's looking for Adam, looking for him, finds him, that sin, expels him. Unleavened bread celebrated later with the Israelites. They said, find leaven in your house, and if you find it, get it out of the house, burn it, get rid of it. Don't have anything to do with it. That was their Feast of Unleavened Bread. Jesus, in the ground during the Feast of Unleavened Bread, looked through, no sin was found in him, he was, he was restored back to life. He picked up his life. That was the Feast of Unleavened Bread. Go back. First fruits. Adam and Eve are expelled from the garden because of their sin. First fruits of those who would die because of their sin. The Israelites, right? They come out of Egypt, if you remember this. They come out of Egypt as the first fruits. Those who were delivered from slavery. Those who were delivered up out of Egypt, right? Amen. You fast forward. Jesus raises from the dead. On the, on the day of the Feast of Firstfruits, comes out as the firstfruits of those who would raise from the dead. Jesus fulfilling that. You have Pentecost. From the beginning, Cain and Abel, they messed it up. They were supposed to be the ones through whom the Deliverer would come. God gave Adam and Eve Seth. It says, at that time, men began to call on the name of the Lord. Seth's name means appointed, granted, anointed. Seth is who Jesus ends up coming through. That was the, the connection between what man was called to do and what he could do in his own strength. God fulfilled that. God added the helper. God added the promise, right? 
the law, right? Pentecost, the very first Pentecost that's actually celebrated. Moses comes down from the mountain to find all the Israelites just drunk and, and, and in revelry and just doing whatever they want to do. They've created an idol out of gold and, and are worshiping that now. Fifty days after they had been delivered out of Egypt with ten miracles, Moses is coming down the mountain with the law in his hands, sees the people celebrating in this way, says, Who is with me? The Levites come to him, who would later be set apart as the priests, right? They go and they kill 3,000 people. So on the, first, on the first Pentecost that was celebrated, 3,000 people end up dying. Why? Because the law brought about death, Amen. right? Fast forward several thousand years. You've got the second Pentecost that's, uh, this, the Pentecost that's representative, uh, um, or the Pentecost here, you have the Spirit coming 50 days after Jesus was raised from the dead. 50 days later, on the day of Pentecost, the Spirit fills the room that the, that the, that the disciples and the, the apostles are in right now. So he fills that, and then on that day, Peter preaches, 3,000 people were saved. 3,000 people died from the law, saved from the Spirit. Why? Because the Spirit could bring about life. The law could only bring about death. That Spirit is now at live, at work, within us, among us, available to us, Hallelujah. to empower us to do what God has called us yes, to do. Lord. That's the fulfillment of Pentecost. Now we go back. Noah, the day of trumpets, the feast of trumpets, right? Seven days that ark is sitting in there. On the seventh day, the waters come, and the whole earth is judged. Go forward. You've got Israel coming out of the desert. Now, they walk up onto the world. Seven times they march around, seven trumpet blasts, and on that seventh trumpet blast, the world falls, right? And you fast forward, you've got Jesus. He will return at the seventh trumpet blast, Amen. and judgment will fall on the world, right? You go back now, the Day of Atonement, Judgment Day, right? When Noah is in that boat and the waters flood the earth, everything is destroyed. When Joshua and the Israelites come upon Jericho, everything is destroyed. Only the righteous are saved up out of it. And on the day of judgment that we read in Revelation, the, all the unrighteous are destroyed. If their name is not written in the book of life, they are destroyed. Only the righteous are saved up out of it. And then finally, the Feast of Tabernacles. Noah, once the earth has been cleansed, rests on the earth to rule and reign and carry out the covenant that was made with Adam from the very beginning. The Israelites enter into, after this Jericho has been destroyed, and they begin to enter into the promised land to rule and reign the way that they were promised. And on this day, the final, the Feast of Tabernacles, we will rule and reign with God. Come on. We will rule and reign with God in the Garden of Eden where it all began, surrounded by the tree of life and the believers, the righteous ones, on the earth that has been cleansed. This is the picture from the very beginning. It was never just about Israel. It was never just about the Gentiles. It was always about the original promise that God made to Adam. He never forgot that. He never forsook that promise. He fulfilled it. Even though it took all of this, he fulfilled the promise that was made in the beginning. What's the message here? Any promise that God has made to you, he stands by it. If there is a word that God has given to you, he will fulfill it even when you are faithless. Even when you fall away because of your own weakness or your inability to fulfill your obligations and your part, he will sustain you, and He will make up the difference. Yes, he covers the gap. He is the one that makes good on what He says yes, He will do, he even when we fail. That's the God that we serve. That's the picture that these feasts paint. This is the process of redemption. You think about this. Passover. You come to the Lord just as you are, without needing to be cleansed, without having already been 
forgiven, without having dealt with all your sin, without having made amends for everything. You come to Him just as you are. And there is a cleansing. There is a, a, there is a, a blood sacrifice that covers you that was made from the very beginning. That's where that comes from. Why does He need to die on the cross? From the very beginning. The picture of what would cover over sin, right, was the shedding of blood. Without the shedding of blood, there can be no remission for sin. So Passover, we come to Jesus just as we are. Unleavened bread, we begin the process of redemption, being sanctified as we pursue holy living, right? The Feast of first fruits, we step out as, the, as a picture of a, represent, a representation of, hey, I've been saved and cleansed by God, and there's more to come, right? First fruits of that. Pentecost, God provides the helper. God provides the connection between what you can do and what he's calling you to do. You. He gives you that power, right? And then the day, there will come a day when we all have to stand before the throne of judgment. And only those who have been covered by the blood of the Lamb, who started that very first feast, who started the process, submitted to the Lamb and the sacrifice that's been made by Jesus, only then, only those people will be able to stand on that day. Those that have not, whose names are not written in the book of life, will not be able to stand. But then after that, we will rule and reign with Christ as promised from the very beginning. Is that not a beautiful picture? That is the good news. That's the good news. Is that God is still on the throne. God is still doing what he said he would do, even though we messed it up. Because he is faithful. He is faithful. The God that we serve is faithful. Hallelujah. Amen. That's good stuff. This, this for me... This for me is life changing. It's it's this it's this complete picture of man. It, it, all religions are the same. Are you kidding me? Are you kidding me? Come on. This is the truth, and there is something that resonates inside of us when we hear these things. Yes. Like yeah yeah yeah, that sounds right. That seems right. That's that's right. That feels right. There's something in us, and what it is is this connection between the truth and what God placed inside of us when we were born. He placed eternity in our hearts so that when we hear these kind of things, it would begin, yep, I feel that connection. It's that connection to the source. And, 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 and as we hear things like this, we're being connected to the source, to the original truth that was meant to be ours from the beginning. This connection to the promise that we are a participant in because we are a descendant from Adam. We participate in this promise. And, and when I hear these things, it's just, no, man can't do this. Man couldn't do that. Man can't do all those things. Forty different <coughs> writers over the period of thousands of years, and we're going to think that this is just a cleverly put together group of stories? Come on! It takes more faith to believe that kind of stuff than it does to just accept it for what it is. Amen. Come on! Anyways. <laughs> This is good stuff. This is exciting times. When I hear things like a construction company wants to donate a thousand turkeys for Thanksgiving, that another church is hearing about things that are going on so that dinners can be delivered to people that are in need. When I go to an organization and they have a list of families that are in need, that's page after page after page. And this connection of, I have a desire to do this. Oh, you do? I'm going to put you in connection with someone who will enable you to do that. When we have a desire to serve and please the Lord, He will meet us with that. He will provide the source for us to be able to fulfill those longings, those longings to serve. Man, you can be here all day, all day. I love this. I love this. Um, let's pray. 
Mighty God, you are amazing. Your story is amazing. You reveal yourself to us. When we want to see you, when we want to know more about you, you reveal yourself to us. It's not a game. It's not... Uh, you're not letting us flounder out there on our own. You are waiting. When our hearts are to seek you and to find you, you say we will find you when we seek you with all our heart. And God, on behalf of this church, on behalf of the people that are sitting in here, Lord, we want to seek you with all our heart. We want to find you. We want to discover your deep truths. We want to understand what our place is in eternity, what our place is in the great group of believers. We don't want to just receive. We don't want to just absorb. We want to be a vessel that you can flow through. May the understanding of the covenant that you made long ago and that you are still in the process of fulfilling, may the understanding of that deepen our faith so solid, so strong, like concrete foundations reinforced with steel. Lord, that we don't need to spend the rest of our days questioning who you are, whether you love us or whether we're called. Yes. But God, that we would realize it right now and let that be settled and begin moving forward with what you have called us Thank to. Jesus. We are in love with you, Lord, and we are excited about what you are calling us to. We thank you that we get to be alive during these times and that we don't have to just be spectators, but that we are participants and we are saints called and anointed by the Most High God. And we have a high calling on our lives. I pray that we would work together in unity, that people would not feel left out, rejected, confused, mistreated, abused, but Lord, that people would feel loved, people would feel unified, protected, cared for, prayed for, provided for. Lord, may your spirit trump our fleshly thoughts and desires. And I ask, God, as we move forward unified, that we would begin more and more to get a greater picture of the kingdom that is at work and coming to this earth. Lord, we love you. We love you. And we are excited about what you're doing. Give us the strength to not just endure day after day, but to go forth as more than conquerors understanding who we have been called to be. We bless your name today. Pray that you would bless those in this room. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen.